Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon. Friends, let's pray together. Gracious God, we bring before you in this very moment our very lives and our very selves. We approach this moment from a variety of backgrounds and perspectives and experiences. Some of us hopeful, joyful, full of energy or health, connection. Some of us approach this moment from a place of exhaustion or sorrow or fear of depression or anxiety or just a sense of feeling stuck. We come to this moment from a place of belief and trust in you, from a place of doubt and skepticism and cynicism. Most of us a mixture of these different perspectives depending on the moment. We come feeling connected and isolated. We come before you a beautiful mess. Beautiful because we're created in your image and likeness. Broken because we've gone astray, we've gone off the tracks, we've lost our way. And your response to all the beauty and the brokenness in this world and in our lives is not to walk away, but to move toward us. To love us. To give yourself to us in the sacrificial love of your son Jesus Christ. And so we pray now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes and our ears, our minds and our hearts to your truth, your love, your justice, your care and your grace in our lives and in this world. Send us out to be your very agents of resurrection renewal wherever we go. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as I said, it's good to be back from vacation. I had planned this two-week vacation, which is monumental for a church-planting pastor in the startup phases of a church to be able to leave for two weeks. So on one hand, that's credit to our staff team. It's credit to you that the church is much bigger and more buoyant and more important than just the founding pastor. That's critical. I I look in the mirror often and say, I'm important, but I'm not that important. So it was really good to be able to get away. I had planned these two weeks. First week was going to be camping and canoeing in Michigan, in the wilderness of Michigan. And it was all that. It was a canopy of glittery stars every night. You could see where the trees were because they were black silhouettes against the starry sky with the shooting stars and the satellites going over and all of that. It was beautiful. The canoeing was amazing. Growing up in Ocean Beach, I didn't grow up canoeing. I grew up surfing and boogie boarding and body surfing. In Michigan, apparently each child comes with a canoe because they all know how to do it. So learning curve was steep there. Props to my partner, Kenny, who put up with me rolling the canoe within the first seven minutes, but I didn't roll it again after that. 
But it was good. It was connection. It was rest. And then I got to a spot where I could have some reception because we were going to move on after that to the East Coast. I was going to meet up with my family in Chicago, go to um, Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia and do the obligatory East Coast history trip and all that with our 14-year-old and our 12-year-old and our 8-year-old. And I get to the spot where I could find reception in the woods and Florence has texted me, two out of our three boys have COVID. The rest of vacation is going to have to look very different. And so, and actually it was one of these moments where she's like, do whatever you would like to do, but I'm going to stay home with kids. And anyone who's been married for longer than 30 minutes knows that the right answer is, I will be home as soon as I can. Could you just imagine me on the East Coast sending photos back home? It's great. I wish you were here. She's like, I'm, I'm in the living room with these kids who are in their rooms, and I'm room service mom here. So anyways, I did the right thing. I made a good choice in that moment, came back home. So I had a staycation. Kids were sequestered to their rooms. Everybody's way through the woods now. We're good. This is not a bad city to have a staycation in, though. But like I said earlier, um, when I was gone, even in the midst of the beauty of the wilderness, and the greatness of just being out of pocket for a while, I missed you. And I realized I missed at least two things that are going on at Renew Church. One is I missed the mission of, of our church. I love, like, this is a river with energy that is flowing in a direction, and the direction is renewal. Spiritual renewal and transformation as we are reconnected with God, and communal renewal and transformation as we're redirected outward in mission to serve our neighbors. I missed that. Secondly, I just missed the community of this church. We're small. We're kind of in the incubation stages, but the DNA is good. We are a diverse community of people that don't naturally occur in nature. People who might not have a ton, there are people in this room that vote very different ways. There are people in this room that like very different music, very different food, have different opinions on almost everything. The thing that gathers us together is the life of God who calls us all together and knows us and loves us. That's the glue. That's the force. I missed that. I'm so glad to be back. And so we're going to be studying a scripture today. I was inspired by Rob Yackley who uh, preached last week on the kind of lesser seen faces of influence when he talked about Priscilla and Aquila. And there's another um, person who maybe doesn't get much airtime, but was extremely influential. His name is Stephen. We're going to take a look at Stephen over the next two weeks. He occurs, he shows up first in Acts chapter 6. He might be like the most famous Stephen you never heard of, right? Like you know Stephen Tyler, you know all these other Stephens. Stephen from Acts chapter 6. And what we learn here is that the earliest church all the way to the church today, the local church all the way to the global church, is not only a movement, it's a community. It's not only a community, it's a family, but it's not only a family which requires unity, it's a diverse family. So it's a movement, it's a community, it's a family, it's a diverse family, and that's the hardest way to go about life. We'll get into that. So we're going to unpack Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Instead of reading the whole thing through once, I'm going to take you just a few verses at a time, because we're going to see the problem of unity in a multi-ethnic community or unity in a diverse community. Let's look at the problem of it, the solution they came up with, and the result of it, and then see what we can learn and apply 
in our life together. First, the problem of unity in a diverse community. Verse 1. Now, during those days, now, first of all, during those days, let me just pause there. I'm not going to pause every four words, three words. But during those days, this is Acts chapter 6. We just remembered Pentecost a few weeks ago, which is Acts chapter 2. The Spirit of God had come, and all of these people in Jerusalem were hearing the story of Jesus, life, death, and resurrection in a language that was their own mother tongue. So the first gospel preaching, the first sermon, was in what language? All of them. And the miracle of God's Spirit begins to bring together this diverse group of people, which was not a new idea, because the original blessing in Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abraham, I will bless you, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. And so it's starting to take shape and take form, and it's getting exciting. So in the very beginning, people from all these different backgrounds, it says they shared all things in common, so nobody had need. They broke bread together. They met together daily to pray and read the scriptures and apply them to their lives. And there's this rich community that's forming in those days. Now, in those days, when the disciples were increasing in number, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Okay, everything is going great. Unity, generosity, everything's going great until it doesn't. And now the Hellenists, which are the Greeks, are complaining against the Hebrews, which are the ethnically Jewish people, because their widows are being left out of the daily distribution of bread. This is bad. This is a church that is founded to be good news to the poor to comfort the brokenhearted, to bring resurrection life to people who feel like they're at the end of their resources. And in the midst of that church in Jerusalem, widows, the most vulnerable people in their society besides children, widows are not being given food to eat from the church's kitchen. You see, unity in the midst of diversity is difficult. It doesn't take long for people with differences, subtle differences between people from different ethnic or linguistic groupings to miss out. Now, we don't know why that happened. It doesn't say. But I think we could safely assume that the leaders of that early church did not take on the mantle of leadership in Jerusalem with persecution and, and wake up in the morning and say, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to make sure I leave out a bunch of widows from the food. I don't think they meant to do it. I think it was a blind spot, which on one hand, just note, churches have blind spots, and our blind spots hurt people. I mean, maybe we should, we should just camp there for a second. I appreciate how honest the scriptures are about the early church in saying they did not have it all together, and because they didn't, they actually hurt people. You don't have to go far in the headlines or maybe in your own story to say, oh, I have a story of a church hurting me or hurting somebody, and I hear you, and I apologize for that on behalf of the church, and I commit to you as a pastor in this church that my desire and our hope and our commitment is to be a place of healing, not a place of pain for you and for your loved ones, for everybody that you bring. 
I mean, that's the biggest tragedy. When the church, the place you're supposed to go for healing becomes the place of infection. Right? There's a word for that when they talk about going to a hospital. You go to a hospital to get healed, but you can go in there with one sickness and you can catch a whole bunch of other sicknesses because you were in the hospital. It's called a nosomically acquired disease. You go in there because you broke your hip, but in there you get pneumonia. Right? Some of you have come into churches and you came in because you are spiritual but not religious. You're asking big questions, but it was in the midst of that that you experienced crushing judgmentalism. The very place that says, you know, as we read earlier today, Brian led us in the call to confession. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And then someone comes into the church with a heavy burden and they say, oh my gosh, you need to get it all together, please. It's a hospital. It's a place for healing. We're committed to that. But we also have blind spots and we're committed to spotting them, rooting them out, and growing together. What if this was the safest community in your whole life? What if North Park, what if downtown San Diego could say something about that renewed church community is a place we can go with our pain? I'm seeing it happen in your lives. And what's happening here in this church is just the tip of the iceberg for what's actually taking place in society. Most of the ministry in this church, aside from the, the worship music, the word being preached, the sacraments, the children's ministry, most of the ministry of this church takes place outside of these walls. This is a launch pad for you to go forward with that sort of renewal. I saw it as a, a member of this church was a part of an influential board in the city in the last six months. And they joined the board, and all of a sudden, they, they didn't have an agenda in terms of you need to believe like I believe. It had nothing to do with spirituality or religion, this board. It's a civic board. But all of a sudden, members of the board are calling this person and saying, hey, can I talk to you about something completely unrelated to the, the issues we're discussing? Can I talk to you about my personal life? I trust you. What if you were the most trustworthy person wherever you go? But it's hard. So scripture's honest about the fact that people are being hurt in the early church. And here's why. Well, here's one part of it at least. Unity and diversity is critical but really difficult. So unity among like-minded people or people of the same ethnic background or same experiences Unity among that group of people is easier to cultivate because you have a lot in common. The Republican club, the Democrat club, pick any club, okay. but it becomes a social club. Nothing wrong with that. So unity among like-minded people can come naturally. You can have unity among diversity at one level if you just keep it superficial, like a, like a cocktail party, right? Okay, I just gotta do this for two hours. It's all, my, it's all my colleagues or people in my industry or in my business or whatever. I might not have a ton in common with them other than the line of work we're in, but I can go and I can make small talk with people for a couple hours and then go home. But there's no growth. And instead, the early church all the way to this day is called for both unity amidst diversity. 
David Feinze, the church historian, wrote, the Jerusalem church faced a serious problem in unity because of its multicultural composition. Nearly all levels of society were represented. The church seems to have been a microcosm of the city. So let's think about that. The church is a microcosm of the city. One of the things I pray for and plan for in this church is that this church would reflect inside the church what society looks like outside the church in terms of wealthy, poor, every ethnicity, culture, orientation. Everybody in society, come and get it, and we'll come out to you, show and tell with the gospel. I mean, think about it. What would it look like if Renew Church, as we grow together, reflects every level of society. Who's not here that should be? Now, one of the tricky things I just have to say to our friends online, you're here, but you're not here, right? And so interesting, you're involved in the life of this church. I pray for you, I think about you, I plan for you, but we don't know you're here unless you tell us. So whether you want to hit the connect button on the church's website or drop a comment, let us know you're here as we become a church that represents every layer and level of society, that becomes a microcosm of the city. I saw this at our last summer conversation a couple Mondays ago. I looked around the table at Cafe Calabria. The owner, Arnie, is very hospitable to us, gave us this beautiful table, our own private room. I think we cleaned them out of all of their food at the end of the night and drinks and all that good stuff. And I looked around and the youngest person at the table was in their 20s, and the oldest person was in their 70s. There were many different ethnicities and cultures represented at the table, different socioeconomic status. There were people at the table who owned more than one property in San Diego. There were people at the, at the table who are struggling to make rent right now. There were gay people and straight people at the table. There were Republicans and Democrats at the table. I'm not just pulling out abstract categories for you. I'm telling you about the people that were at the table. We were beginning to represent every layer of society. So unity is critical, but it's difficult. So that's the problem of unity. They're being left out of the daily distribution of bread. So what's the solution? What do they do? Verse 2, and the 12, which were the 12 people who had witnessed Jesus' resurrection, you know, the, the apostles, the 12 called together the whole community of the disciples that would be the larger crowd and cloud of people in the church. And they said, it is not right that we should neglect the word of God in order to wait on tables. Therefore, friends, and here's the solution. Select from among yourselves seven men of good standing, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this task, while we, for our part, will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. What they said pleased the whole community, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, together with Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So what's the solution? The problem is people are being left out because of blind spots. The solution is 
select seven people of good standing with wisdom, full of the Spirit, from among yourselves. From among yourselves. In other words, the leadership within the church that was in the ethnic power majority didn't say, we will figure it out, we've got it, please get to the back of the line, we'll email you when it's all complete, you can come back. They said, we got it wrong. Like Einstein said, you know, the problems that are in this world cannot be solved by the same minds that created them. And the leadership team of the church says, we've messed up, we've missed something. So why don't you select seven people from among yourself that can speak into and see into the blind spots of this church? They divested themselves of power and authority so that other people could have enough in the midst of the community. Does that sound like anybody to you in the Bible? In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes to the church, Jesus, though he had all power and authority, did not see power and authority as something to be exploited but rather emptied himself even to the point of death on a cross so that we might be rescued. And so the early church and every Christian after that is invited to pattern our life not based on the power dynamics of this world that says whoever has the power makes the rules but base our life as a community on the upside down power dynamic of the cross that says whatever power I have was given to me for the good of the people around me. It's completely upside down. And yet it's ironically right side up. We might call that the economy of the kingdom of God. And it's not easy. It is the harder way. It is the scarier way. But it is the way to be buoyant, resilient, alive, and connected. Connected to yourself, to the people around you, and to God. Radically generous. Radically courageous. How do you do that? Do you intentionally seek out the other in your life? See, there's something in human psychology that I think it's just part of our evolutionary process that we survive better when we can identify somebody we think, categorize them, and put them in a box, right? That's like the root of all tribalism. It's just easier for the brain to sort. We have other things to do to think about. So as long as I can keep you in the box, I can go on and get on with my life. And then that's the beginning of dehumanizing you because you're no longer a human created in the image and likeness of God. You're a thing in a box. You're a viewpoint. You're a political point. See, it's much more complex. You know this. And so we're invited to make space for the other. I mean, this week... This, this month, from Roe versus Wade to the massacre shooting on 4th of July in Chicago to you name it, with you know, all of the political ramblings in our country, let alone in Europe right now with all that's going on in Great Britain, with uh, an election cycle on the horizon, you will have plenty of opportunities to scapegoat other people. You will have plenty of opportunities to put people in a box and throw stones. In fact, that's how political discourse works in our country on both sides. 
But to be a Christian is to say, I'm actually going to have a more sophisticated view of this world. To be a person of faith is not to think less about what's happening around you. It's to think more deeply about it. And so instead of listening to someone, there's listening to speak versus listening to hear, right? Listening to speak is, I'm just waiting until you're done so I can jump in. That's kind of the common mode of discourse. What if you listened to understand? What if your big comeback was not you're wrong or you're dumb or you're this or that? What if your big comeback was I never, I never considered seeing it that way? In fact, right now I can't consider seeing it that way, whatever it is. But you seem to be really convinced about it. How did you arrive at that conclusion? Help me understand it. Unity and diversity is more difficult, but it's critical. Will it be difficult? Yes. Will it take creativity? Yes. Will it take patience and perseverance and moving slow and apologizing when you need to apologize and I need to apologize? Yes. But as it happens, not only are we more healthy and healed and restored, we actually have something to offer to the watching world. It's there that you will grow. Now, I realize different temperaments and personalities focus on different values and virtues in life. And unity is a big deal to me. And when I do strength finders, you know, connectedness is one of the pieces. So this is, yeah, it's always top of mind for me. But I want you to see I'm not making this up. This is not just my pet value. Because in John chapter 17, on Jesus' final night with his friends before he was betrayed and crucified, he prays to the Father, and part of that great high priestly prayer is, Father, I pray not only for the people in this room, but for all the people who will come after them because of their testimony. In other words, he's praying for you and me. Wow. And what does he pray? Father, as you are in me and I am in you, may they be one in us so that the world may know that you sent me. This is the very unity that Jesus prayed for. And this is where it gets sticky, but one of the high-level thoughts here is, there are some of us, I don't know if in this room or not, but in this world for sure, with splintering of denominations and on and on, that would rather split ourselves from other Christians who we think are wrong but we don't realize that that very splitting of ourselves runs the danger of violating that very prayer of Jesus. It's heavy. But it's, I remember my friend Makana. Makana's from Hawaii. Incredible human being. And there was a street preacher who was just abrasive. I mean, he was obnoxious. And he was telling everybody they're going to hell. Everyone's going to hell. But if you walked up to him and said, hey buddy, I'm on your team, he'd go, all right, God bless you, you know. He, he was hard to listen to. And Makana went up and put his arm around him and said, I can't stand what you're saying, brother, or the way you're saying it, but you are my brother, and I love you. Picture of unity. It's hard, but it's critical. So their solution is they actually not only include other people, but give them voice, give them power. I mean, think about it. In a nation that is politically polarized, and it's only going to get worse. That's the natu- 
This is entropy. This is decay, right? Things naturally fall apart. God's in the business of bringing things together. In a culture where it is normal, natural, almost expected for you to throw stones at people on your favorite social media platform. When a community begins operating like this, with unity and diversity around Jesus, the watching world begins to say, I want what they have. There's something different that's going on in that community. That's what happened here, because finally I'll leave you with the result. Verse 7. The word of God continued to spread. The number of the disciples increased greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, here's what happened. It became attractive to the watching world, and did you catch that? They're not only growing in terms of the number of people in their community. For the first time in recorded history, a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. Who were the priests? They weren't Roman Catholic priests that were already Christians. They weren't Episcopalian priests. They weren't Eastern Orthodox priests. They were the priests of the Jewish temple. They were the leaders in the community that would know the Jewish, the Hebrew scriptures, the Torah, the Old Testament as we call it. They were the people who were in charge of stewarding the temple where heaven and earth overlap and intersect. They would remember the original promise to Abraham, I will bless you and through you all the nations will be blessed. And they participated in a temple system that put up barriers to that actually happening. We don't have time to get into it, but the architecture of the temple, the geography of the way it was laid out, had different walls, and depending on your status, ethnicity, and gender, you could get closer and closer to the center where they believed that the presence of God actually dwelt. And so the priests would have had in their memory a promise of all nations being blessed and an experience in their day-to-day -day life of that not happening. People being divided by these walls. And then they see the early church actually living into that great vision. And they say, I want what those people have. As the Apostle Paul would later write, Jesus came and broke down the dividing wall of hostility. This happened in the church. And so friends, is it a heavy calling? Yes. Is it exactly what this world needs? Absolutely. I think unity and diversity, people of different backgrounds coming together deeply is one of the gifts that the church can offer the watching world. But, and, don't try this without the gospel. Don't try this without the gospel. You will be exhausted, burned out, and bitter by the end of the day. The fuel for all of this is when you can say, look how Jesus gives him life, his life for me so I give my life on behalf of others. Look how Jesus forgives me so I can forgive others. Look how God loves me so I can love others. But when you do, you have an endless resource from which to live. And that's why we gather together to remind each other of that. So when you forget, I'll remind you. And when I forget, you remind me. And together, the Spirit of God moves in us 
through us to the watching world. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do pray now that you would give us wisdom, courage, humility, and joy in a world that's full of pain and beauty, in a world that's full of fracturedness and factions. We pray for the unity, the connection that only your spirit can bring. And so we pray now that you would fill us and send us out to join you in that great mission of renewal. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Renew San Diego, a church for the good of all our neighbors in North Park, San Diego. If you're ever in the area on Sunday mornings, we'd love to welcome you. More information at renewsandiego.org. Share with a friend. See you soon.